You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. My name is Brett Patterson, and I am the pastor of discipleship here at Harvest Niagara, and it's a joy to be able to open God's word with you. Um, As you can see, I'm not Daryl. Um, Daryl this morning is down in Harvest at Harvest Windsor preaching the gospel there. Um, Even while this service is happening, please pray for him uh, that that the word would go forward powerfully. This morning, I I would like to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, please put your hand up. We've got ushers that are coming down the aisle and uh, we'd love to get a copy of God's word in your hand. So if you don't have a copy of God's word, put your hand up. If you don't have a Bible at home, we say this every week, please take it and keep it, mark it up, read it, devour it. We would love for you to have a copy of God's word in your home to be used by you. So take it as our gift to you. And as you open to Hebrews 10, once you're there, if you would like, you don't have to, but if you would like, um, keep your finger there and flip back also to the book of Acts chapter 2. As we get into this message this morning, we're going to look at Acts 2, verse 42, and then head to Hebrews, so keep your finger there. While you're turning there, I want you to think for a second, who's the greatest imposter of all time? Absolutely. They didn't say that in the first service, but you're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one of the greatest human imposters of all time is... uh, We've heard of Frank Abagnale, the semi-fictional character of Catch Me If You Can, okay? Uh, Maybe Neil Caffrey of White Collar, fully fictional character, but maybe one of the the greatest real imposters of all time um, would be Victor Lustig. Victor Lustig lived from 1870 to 1947, and he's known to be the man who sold the Eiffel Tower twice. (laughs) Once is remarkable, twice is unfathomable. But Victor Lustig, and I I believe this story is true, you can check the details out and inform me if I'm wrong. Um, Victor Lustig, around 1925 in France, as it was just rebounding from the war, noticed a newspaper story that ran that said the Eiffel Tower was in massive need of repair and that the bill to repair it was gonna be astronomical and it was unaffordable at the time and Lustig saw this as his golden opportunity to make some money. So Lustig quickly had a friend draft up a forged stationery, government stationery for him, and he invited six scrap metal dealers to come to a private meeting in one of the fanciest hotels in France. And at that meeting, he picked his mark, a man named André Poisson, and during that meeting, he told them that it must be completely confidential, they couldn't tell anyone because there would be public outrage if anyone knew that the Eiffel Tower was going to be destroyed. A short time after this, Lustig accepted Poisson's bid and then fled to Vienna with a suitcase full of cash. Now obviously, Lustig didn't own the Eiffel Tower, nor did he have any right to sell the Eiffel Tower. He was an imposter, he was a fraud, he was a phony. And today, I want you to think about what's the greatest imposter in the church? Not a person. Sure, there are those, but I don't think it's a person this morning. There's an imposter that masquerades in the church pretending to be something that it actually isn't. There is something happening that claims to be something that it's not. It's a fraud. It's a phony. It's a fake. And maybe you're wondering, what is it? What are you talking about? And I want to submit this morning that it is what most Christians call fellowship. Fellowship, what we speak of when we talk about fellowship is often just a half-baked notion of what the world calls fellowship. And that is not biblical fellowship at all. Webster, we take Webster's definition often about Christian fellowship and Webster's wrong when it comes to Christian fellowship. Webster defines fellowship as a friendly relationship among people, the relationship of people who share interests or feelings. Is that all? Is that all that true Christian fellowship really is? No, it's not at all. Is true Christian fellowship really just coffee, 
treats, small talk about the weather, a sports game? Is that really all that it is? No, it's not. It's easy for us to have Christian conversation at times and not even to mention the Lord. It's easy for us to claim to have fellowship when really all that we're engaging in is pseudo-fellowship, something that's not even fully biblical. And to be straightforward with you this morning, I just want to say that we often miss the mark. We don't always miss the mark, I'm not saying that, but we often miss the mark on true, genuine fellowship. And when we miss the mark on true, genuine fellowship, we as the church miss out on all the blessings that God has in store for us. And so this morning, what we are going to do is we're going to unpack this idea of Christian fellowship, of what it actually looks like. And we're going to do that by going to two places. First, Acts 2.42, and then Hebrews chapter 10 in a moment. And so why? Why is fellowship so important? Why is fellowship so important in the church? Well, first of all, John in 1 John says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wow, fellowship is pretty important according to this verse. Listen from Acts 2.42, the four things that the early church was built on. Four things, see if you can pick them out. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, number one, and the fellowship, number two, to the breaking of bread, number three, and the prayers, number four. Four things that the early church was devoted to, four pillars that held it up. And guess what number two is on the list? What is it? Fellowship. It's fellowship. And so if the Bible places such a high premium on fellowship, we should really understand what it is, shouldn't we? And I can tell you for sure that it's not just treats and cookies. That's an opportunity for fellowship, but that's not necessarily fellowship. And so this morning, we are gonna dig into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 to see what fellowship really is. You can go ahead and turn there now. Before we read it, let me just lay a little bit of groundwork and tell you why fellowship is so important. Four reasons why fellowship is so important, and there's more, but here's four. First of all, true Christian fellowship, it invigorates our faith. It invigorates our faith. It gets us fired up. Second, it exposes blind spots. And third, it binds us together in unity as the body of Christ. And then fourth, it shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. Fellowship is one of God's greatest and most powerful means to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. Do we get that? This is what God wants to do in our church. And I'm really praying this morning that God would do an incredible work of bringing us together in true biblical fellowship this morning. And if he's going to do that, we should have an idea of what it is. And so here's a quick definition of fellowship for us. What is true fellowship? Fellowship is participating with one another in the life and truth of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Don't miss that. It's sharing with one another on the deepest human level our personal experience with God. So I'm just going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to say that fellowship is not possible for unbelievers. The world has camaraderie. The world has friendship. The world has relationships and can have deep relationships and meaningful relationships. But fellowship, true biblical fellowship, is only something that can happen between Christians. And I hope we get that this morning. I hope we've tasted a little bit of that. I hope at the end of the service, we taste a little bit of that this morning as we're leaving this place, that fellowship would actually happen here this morning. Fellowship is so important that James McDonald actually wrote this about it in his book, Authentic. He said, many people don't realize that fellowship is a discipline. It's a discipline, not just something helpful, but something commanded. One of the surest barometers of the quality of your Christian life is the quality of Christian, of the quality of Christian relationships in your life. When that deteriorates, you're going backwards spiritually. And he says right after that, and the whole church misses out. Think about that. Think about that. We are all parts of one body here today. We're all parts of the body of Jesus Christ. We need one another today. And so we're going to dig in to what this really looks like, to what fellowship really is this morning. So this morning, this message 
This message is a message that's primarily for believers. And so if you're here with us this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, we're really glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you've come this morning. Um, This message, in a lot of ways, is not for you yet. But if you, if you came to Christ today, if you received him as your savior today, this message would be fully for you. But I hope that as this message goes on, I hope there's a longing in your heart that says, I want that. I long for that. I desire true, meaningful relationships with people that know and experience God. And so praying even that today would be the day that you come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, this message is for you. And we're gonna read from Hebrews chapter 10, and as we go to Hebrews chapter 10 to read, I wanna start this morning in verse 19, and we are gonna read all the way through verse 25. Now, I'm gonna focus in on verses 23 through 25, but the reason that I wanna read it all this morning is so that we get the context. What's happening here is you're gonna notice this. In verses 19 through 21, the author of Hebrews says these words twice, since we... And then he gives a doctrine, the doctrine about Jesus Christ, of the gospel. And then in verses 22 through 25, he says these words three times, let us. In other words, since this is true, do this. So doctrine on one hand, application on the other. You ever been in church before and ever wondered like, wow, that's amazing. What do I do about it? Okay, well, that's what we're going to be taught this morning right from the word of God. And so God has very specific things that he wants to say to us this morning from this passage. And so let's read it together. Let's start in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 19. Let's read down to verse, or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Let's read down to verse 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true hearts in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Amen? Amen. Amen. And verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, relationships are absolutely essential to perseverance and growth. Fellowship is absolutely essential to our perseverance and growth in the gospel. Okay, so quick test. Who was listening when we read that this morning? Who was looking on in their Bible? Hopefully everyone. How many times did you hear the word fellowship mentioned in that passage? None. It's not there. But it is there. It's what it's all about. Though the author doesn't say the word fellowship, the thing that he is talking about is the fellowship that we have because of the complete work of Jesus Christ. And so so this morning, we're gonna unpack what that fellowship should really look like. And so here we go. This morning, we're gonna have three points, and uh, I'm gonna give you a summary of the whole message right now. Uh, When I was in high school, my English teacher uh, told me that I always wrote in run-on sentences. And they said, you shouldn't do that, it's, it's not good. Um, you should break it up more. And so not to disobey my English teacher this morning, but um, basically the whole summary of this message is one run-on sentence. So here it is, it's up on the screen. There we go. Nope, there we are, there we go, here we go, okay. So here's the run-on sentence. This is our whole message this morning. We're gonna unpack this and we are gonna then see it from each of these three verses. Here it is, holding fast to Christ is a group project that involves thoughtful, active participation by all in unceasing, life-giving, mutual ministry. So if you wanna write that down, feel free. It's also gonna come up in points in just a few minutes. And so really, as we dig into this this morning, the first thing that we see here is in verse 23. Verse 23, it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, All right, what are the first two words of verse 23? Let's say it out loud. What are the first two words? You are way better than first service. Okay, I tricked him with that one. Um, Good work. Okay, let us, let us. Uh, Hands up if you're an us, okay? 
All right. Problem, only half of your hands went up. So either something's unclear or we're very confused, okay? So put your hand up if you are an us. That's just, okay guys, for you who didn't put your hands up, that's all of us, okay? Every one of us, we're all part of the us, okay? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Here's point number one. Holding fast to Christ is a group project. Holding fast to Christ is a group project. We see that right in the text. Let us, let us in community hold fast to Jesus. Cling to him. We're not called to go the Christian life alone. We are called to cling to Jesus in the context of community within the context of the local church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the body of Christ. Listen, there are no exceptions here. There's no exceptions this morning. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. There's no escape clause. There's no out in this passage. As we go through this passage, what you're going to see this morning is you're going to see five things that the Lord is commanding of you. Now, I'm not commanding. My words don't carry the authority. It's the Lord's word. He's commanding these things, and we're going to see them right in this passage. And the first one is right here, that we are to hold fast to Jesus Christ without wavering without shaking, without hesitating. We are to hold firmly. This word hold fast, it really is a continuous active verb that means to cling closely continually without ceasing. You're like, well, when do I stop? Never. You never stop. Okay, we're getting to that. It's, it says it at the end of the passage, but you never stop. You cling closely forever. When I think of someone who clings closely, I think of, you know, one of those crazy rock climber guys. I think we got a couple of those in our church that, that climb with no ropes and they're just like there on the cliff face, hanging on for dear life, gripping it so tightly because they know that if they even lose their grip for one second, they will fall and they will crash. Listen, that's a picture of what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus Christ within the local church. We cling closely to the Lord, to the confession of our faith without wavering as we do it in community together. We are to cling closely, gripping, clenching with all of our might, the confession of our hope. What's that? What's the confession of our hope? Well, the confession of our hope is really Jesus Christ. Our faith is founded on the solid, immovable rock of ages that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the the firstborn among many brethren. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Savior of the world. And our faith is fully based totally on Him. He is everything. The author of Hebrews is calling us here and God is commanding us to cling closely to the doctrines, first and foremost, about Jesus Christ. Any doctrines about Jesus Christ under attack today? Absolutely. Absolutely. All over the place. All over the place. But here's a few doctrines that we are to cling to as we do it in community. First of all, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ was and is fully God and was and is fully man perfectly together in one body. What an amazing mystery. We've got to cling to that. That's what makes him our savior. We've got to cling to the virgin birth of Christ. We've got to cling to the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ. We've got to cling to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ, perfectly pure in every way, laid down his life on the cross so that we could be saved. That's the gospel. And if we don't cling to that, it will begin to vanish from our minds and even from our midst. We need to cling and cling to these truths. And we need to help others to cling to these amazing truths. But listen, we also cling not only to those truths, but we also cling to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. We cling to his ascension and we cling to his return. He's coming back. That is going to be an awesome day if you know him. Wow. Wow. We cling to these truths about Jesus Christ. But listen, this is really a call right here in this passage for us to cling to every major biblical doctrine. So let me just pick a few that are under attack today, that are probably difficult for many of us to cling to without wavering. 
doctrines that are under attack today? Well, first of all, the biblical teaching about creation under attack heavily. Go to the university, go out on the streets. The, the doctrine of creation is under attack. Bibli- the biblical teaching about sin is under attack today, completely under attack today. The biblical teaching about gender and sexuality, is that under attack today? Yeah, you bet. You bet it is. About men and women, okay? About about those things. Also, the biblical teaching about salvation, about Jesus being the only way of salvation. That's under attack today. If you don't believe that, if you haven't experienced that, all that you need to do is just one Friday evening go out with Jeremy and the Go Team on the streets. I guarantee if you go out and you have five or six conversations with people and you tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, you will be attacked. Guarantee it. I I see one guy who goes out often just nodding his head. Yes, what will people say when you tell them that Jesus is the only way of salvation? They're gonna say, you're narrow-minded. You're judgmental. You're you're a bigot. You're, you're, You're just off. You're a wicked person for saying that. And just to be honest, any of us, do we find it difficult at times, especially when we're isolated, to cling to these truths? Notice the text says, without wavering. It doesn't just mean that you just kind of hang on to it loosely. It means that you stand on it with your feet planted firm. And I'm just going to say this. If we're going to stand that firmly and that passionately on the doctrines of the Bible, we need people around us to help us with that, to get us fired up, to support us, and to help us to cling to Christ in community. Listen, we don't hold to these truths alone. And we're not just to hold to these truths loosely. We are to hold them fast with urgency and with a firm grip. We are to be passionate about them. And we're not to give up and we're not to let go. Listen, the Lord is calling you this morning to hold fast without wavering to all of the truth of God's word, but he's not calling you to do that alone. He's calling you to do that in the context of the body of Christ, the local church. He is inviting you to cling to his truth this morning. Why? Because he is holding you in his hand. Notice this in the text. Look down at the verse again, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, Jesus Christ is faithful. This verse brings up the picture that's given to us in John, in John's gospel. When John, in John 10, 27 through 29 says this, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Think of that picture. Think of the picture right there in John 10. You are in Jesus' hand if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and that hand is clenching you and holding you. And then imagine the double part of that picture. The hand of the Father is wrapped around that hand holding it closed. You are double held by the grace of God. How awesome is that? Listen, church, we cling to the truth of Jesus Christ because he holds us with a very firm, unbreakable grip. That should give us great encouragement shouldn't it? This morning, what we're seeing right here in this passage already is we're seeing the doctrine of eternal security. We're seeing the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And really that doctrine is like a coin that has two sides. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints has two sides. On the one side, we see God's sovereignty, that God holds us with a firm grip. On the other side, we see us in everything within community clinging to the Lord with everything that we have. Listen, it ultimately doesn't depend on your clinging. It ultimately depends on the Lord who holds you, but you are commanded to cling. Well, maybe you could say, well, maybe I'll just let go. He's going to hold me anyway. Is that what the text says? You're commanded. You're commanded by the Lord to cling to him. And you're commanded to do that, and I'm commanded to do that in the context of community. Let's live it out. There's great hope for us here. About this verse, Matthew Henry The Puritan um, who wrote a commentary on the whole Bible, he said this, he said, here we have the, the means prescribed for preventing our apostasy and promoting our fidelity and perseverance. 
What is the means that's prescribed? It is the means of fellowship. It is the means of the body of Christ supporting one another, encouraging one another, and helping each other to cling to every truth that God has spoken. Here's the second part this morning. The second part this morning. Holding fast to Christ is a group project. We need each other. And here's the second part that involves thoughtful, active participation by all. Okay, we're going to test it again. Um, You guys were a little bit weak on uh, the us part, okay? But if you're an us, then you're also part of the all, okay? So put your hand up if you're part of the all. Okay, we're, we're getting it now. Okay, we're, we're a lot better. Yes, okay, that's all of us. Um, just want to make this abundantly clear. The all that's referred to, that I'm referring to here, is, is not just the pastors, the staff, and the small group leaders. The all is all of us, every single one of us. Okay, let's take a look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is commanding something of you right here. I'm not commanding it of you. I'm exhorting you to obey the Lord's command, but it is the Lord who wrote the scripture. It is the Lord who is commanding something of you right now. What is he commanding? He is commanding you, he's commanding me to think about how to get one another fired up to love Jesus Christ more and to actively live our lives for his glory. That's what he's commanding right here. Now I wanna be super clear. This verse is not only speaking to pastors, small group leaders, flock leaders. It's not only speaking to them. So often in the church, we think that the job of stirring up is to be done by those people. And then we are just the recipients. And so we think of things as a triangle, okay? The one who's up front just pours it out and we pick it up and we get stirred up and that's great. And we go on our way. That that kind of happens, but that's not all of it. It's really supposed to be us one anothering, one another, pouring into each other to stir each other up to love and good works. So I want you to think about this for a second. I think this is a great place where we um, can often miss the mark on fellowship. It's a place where the Lord has a lot for us, but we often don't take advantage of it. And so right now, as we think about this, as we think about how to stir one another up to love and good works, I want you to put your hand up if you are in a small group here at Harvest. Um, Put it up and keep it up, okay? If you're in a small group or if you're in women's ministry or men's ministry um, or recovery ministry or in the process of getting into a small group, meaning you filled out the form, you're, you're moving forward in it, okay? Keep those hands up, all right? Right now, I want you to look around. I want you to lock eyes with somebody in your small group. That might be tricky for some of you, okay? I see you guys, okay? Um, Lock eyes. If you can't find anyone, think of them in your head right now. Think of all the faces in small group that you sit with. (laughs) There we go. That's a little fellowship happening right there. There we go, okay? Good. Your job commanded You guys are putting your hands down. Come on. Keep them up. Keep them up. Listen, if we're going to put our hands down after 30 seconds, we're probably not actively going to stir one another up through the week, are we? We're going to walk out of here and forget it. So let's keep our hands up. Get them up high. Come on. Little limp arms down there. Come on. Come on. Stretch those things out. Okay. All right. Okay. So your job this week, next week, until Jesus Christ comes again. I'm not leaving any wiggle room on that one, am I? You're like, when do I get my break? When Jesus Christ comes again, that's when you get your break, okay? Your job until he comes again is to think about how to stir up the people that God has placed with you in community, in your small group. You can put your hands down now. You guys are getting tired, okay? But here's what we've got to do. This word, consider, it means to actively think. It means to, it's more than that though, it means to observe to perceive, to pay attention and notice what gets someone in your circle of influence fired up for Jesus Christ. It's just like, oh, 
That's what it is that gets them fired up. I got to remember to do that more often. You think about it, you perceive it, you understand it. And then the other part of this word is that we are to stimulate one another. We're to incite one another. We're to provoke one another to love and good works. Well, we get how to incite and provoke one another. I think we all get that, don't we? Okay, maybe a little too well. We often get it in a negative way. I think we all kind of understand this a little bit. Um, For example, hey, who won the Leafs game last night? Okay, nine o'clock service was like, they must be sports fans because uh, they were like cheering at that point. They were like, woo, woo. It was a blowout, wasn't it? It was like six nothing or something, wasn't it? Okay, so my apologies if you're a Montreal fan. Sorry, Um, wrong choice. Okay, so the the Leafs, they won the game last night. Um, Pretty easy to get fired up about that right? That they just crushed the other team last night. Or in a negative aspect, pretty easy for us to get fired up about what the governor general said this week about people of faith. Did anyone hear that? And just mocking, mocking all types of religion, calling it superstition and all kinds of crazy things. You know, even as I think about that, it gets me fired up in my heart, right? It's pretty easy for us to get fired up about things that matter very little in light of eternity or to get fired up about things that are negative. And if we get that, let me ask this, why don't we understand what it actually looks like and why don't we act on what we are commanded to fire one another up to love and pursue Jesus Christ more and more? The one thing, the one thing that will make a difference for all of eternity. Why is it? that we can get so fired up about a 6 nothing win by the Maple Leafs, when in light of eternity, it's piddly. And we can get so fired up about the words of someone who obviously doesn't know the Lord and has never experienced true faith and, and the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. Why can we get so fired up about those things? And why can we fire each other up about those things? But why do we struggle so much to fire one another up for Jesus Christ? And so church, honestly, this morning, it's because we missed the mark on fellowship. We think fellowship is tea, cookies, and a good time out in the side hallway. That's an opportunity for fellowship. Listen, once a month, we have family fellowship. Okay, we're not saying that because we put that stuff out there that fellowship automatically happens. We're saying, hey church, here's an opportunity for you to have meaningful fellowship with one another. Go eat that stuff and talk and have a great time and share what the Lord is doing in your life. There's a huge difference. Let's not miss it, church. It's a shame if we miss one of the greatest means of grace that God has given us for our encouragement and for our growth in Jesus Christ. So let's not miss it. This week I had the opportunity um, to, to ask, to survey 15 people and ask them, what is it that gets you stirred up to love the Lord? And I think that's a good question that we should all think about and maybe you're struggling right now thinking, okay, well, what do I do? What, where do I actually go? Where do I get started on it? It seems like this massive task, I don't even know where to begin. And so here's a few helpful things. The top five answers from these 15 people are gonna come up on the screen, starting with number one. And these are answers from real people, okay? These are not just things that I wrote down. This is what people say gets them fired up, so take note, all right? Number one, number one, and this was like kind of right across the board, number one. Remind me of the glories of the gospel. Tell me, just tell me in your own words how great Jesus Christ is. Just tell me that my identity is found in him, that I am redeemed, that I am washed clean, that I am his child. Just help me to remember that glorious truth. That gets me fired up, so fired up. Number two, just share what God's doing in your life. Just be open and honest enough to share with me the areas where you're stumbling, where you're falling, where you're failing, and where, by God's grace, you're winning. Just take a minute and just share it with me. And maybe at the end of that time, maybe even just say, you know, would you pray for me? I'm struggling in this area, but the Lord's been really gracious in this area. Would you just pray for me right now? That gets you fired up, doesn't it? That encourages your faith. It encourages my faith. Now here's the third one right here. Show me you care by genuinely asking how I'm doing. Okay, so... Just to clarify, the walking down the hall, how you doing? Don't care, gone. That doesn't count, okay? That that doesn't count at all. That's kind of like, how are you doing? I don't have time to listen and I really don't care, so I'm gonna keep going. Um, That is not genuinely asking, but actually sit down with the person. You know, how are you doing? How are you doing? 
What's God doing in your life? What are you struggling with? What can I pray for you on? What can I help you with? You know, how are you really doing in your walk with the Lord? That is meaningful. That should get us fired up. And then here's, here's the fourth one. Write a note of encouragement. Write a note of encouragement. Okay, guys, take note on this one um, because that one right there, uh, everyone who said that was female, okay? So, so men, if you want a, a great way to encourage your spouse or another significant woman in your life, um, that's a good one, okay? Okay, write a note of encouragement. And I'm just gonna be honest, uh, text messages don't really count. Um, do they count, girls? They kind of count, okay? One says yes, others laugh, okay? Maybe they count. Start with a text, work your way up to a pen, okay? All right, good. Um, but that's a great way. I, that's very, very meaningful um, to girls especially, maybe. It's kind of meaningful to me too, um, but, but I can see how that would be deeply meaningful. All right, number five, ask to pray with me or for my family. That's so encouraging, isn't it? Isn't that so encouraging when you're here on a Sunday morning and you just kind of you know, pour out a little piece of your heart to someone and they're like, they're not like, oh, that's nice, okay, whatever. Um, hopefully that gets better for you. But they're actually like, wow, can I just, can I pray for that right now? Can I just pray for you? And they just, right here, in this room as we're leaving, they just stop and they just pray for you and care for you. That is so meaningful. You walk out of that feeling like, yes, I'm part of a body of Christ and I, I'm loved, I'm cared for. okay. But maybe you're wondering, okay, where do I start? Like there's like 700 people that come to this church. Do I just try to do this with all of them? Well, not exactly. Let's start. Let's kind of break this down. Where should I start? Okay, where should I start? I want you to think in circles right now, okay? Think with the broadest circle that God has called you to really be involved in. And that's not the circle of this world, okay? That is the church, this church, this local church. God has called you to stir up other believers here in this church. He's planted you here. This is your home. If this is your home, you're called to stir one another up here in this place. Wouldn't it be awesome that when the service ends, wouldn't it be awesome if we had so many people up here at the front seeking prayer because they were just honest and open and that they just needed the Lord? And wouldn't it be amazing if People were just scattered throughout the room here, talking to each other, laughing with each other, delighting in Christ with each other, praying for each other, Bibles open, showing each other what God had taught them that week in the word. And wouldn't it be awesome if after you picked your kids up from Harvest Kids, okay, after you did that, that you came back and you hung out with other people and you just shared, here's what the Lord's been doing in my life while you kept one eye on your kids. Okay, that would be That'd be like supernatural, okay, if you can do that. That's, that's hard, but you can do it. Or wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, you came in one Sunday, no plans after church, and someone you hardly even knew said, hey, would, would you and your family like to come for lunch with us today? And we just have some fellowship together. We'll just share a little bit about what God's doing in our life. We'll get to know each other and encourage each other. Wouldn't that be amazing? That, that would be amazing. I think that would be amazing. Start with our church family. Start here. Okay, let's move it in a little bit closer. Next circle, start with your small group. Your small group. If you're in a small group, God has given you a responsibility to stir others up in that small group. So often we think that's the leader's job. That leaders, you gotta get the group stirred up. No, that's not what it says. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. The reason that we sit together in small group in a circle is because it's mutual ministry. We are stirring each other up. So let me ask a hard question right now. Who is it that's supposed to stir up your small group leader? Is it me? Yeah, kind of. Okay, we've got roughly 50 small group leaders and flock leaders, so I can do a little bit of that for sure. Okay, is it the flock leaders? Yeah, a little bit. Okay, who is it that's supposed to stir up your small group leader? Oh, wow, good. Somebody's got it. Us, it's you. It is you that's supposed to stir up your small group leader. You are to invest in your small group leader. You are to exhort them, encourage them. You are in a humble way to even call out some of their blind spots in the proper way and to lead them to God's word and to spur them on in their faith. That's the body of Christ. Each one of us has a role in this. I want you to think about this for a second. We talk about the body of Christ 
Think about your physical body right now. Any parts you don't really need? Okay, appendix and tonsils excluded, okay? Any other parts that you would just be willing to part with today? You're like, ah, oh, my pinky toe doesn't do too much. Okay, well, take your shoe off and kick the door jam on the way out, and we'll see a grown man of like 35 years old crumble to the floor and weep like a baby. And you'll realize very quickly how important that pinky toe actually is to your body, right? We are all, every single believer is significant in this. It requires the whole body of Christ to come together to stir one another up to love and good works. And this is what the Lord is calling us to do today. He's calling us to do that in our church, in our small groups, and then also with our closest friends. Maybe you have one or two people that you really are pouring into. But he's also calling us to do that in our families. The, cer- the circles are getting smaller. Maybe it's getting more convicting. Parents, he's calling you to do that with your kids. Stir them up to love and good works. Don't neglect to pour into them. And husbands and wives, he's calling you to do that with each other. And now maybe this is getting really convicting. Listen, if, you're, if you have the blessing to be married and to have a spouse who is alive today, God has given you that spouse to cultivate in them a deeper desire to love and follow Jesus Christ and to live for his glory. Husbands, that's why you've been given a wife so that you can cultivate in her a deep desire to delight in the Lord above all. Wives, that's why you've been given a husband. And I'm just gonna be super honest right now as I you know, worked through this passage and studied for this, I think that's the big one that the Lord's convicting my heart on right now. Yeah, I get the broader circle of the church. I get the small group circle. I get the close friends circle. I get the family circle for the most part. The area where I am struggling and honestly failing is cultivating that in my wife. And so last night, I got off the phone with our worship pastor, David, and uh, just confessed this to him and said, I need prayer in this area. And I went upstairs and took a few minutes just to confess to my wife, you know, I've not been cultivating this in you the way that I should be. I've not been spending as much energy and thought and effort to think about how to stir you up to love and good works. But listen, that's not the finish line on that. That's the starting place, isn't it? Now I've got a new opportunity to go and cultivate that in my wife and in my family. I'm praying that the Lord would really do that in all of us in this church. But listen, the passage goes on. It goes on. We're we're commanded to hold fast in community. We are commanded to think about how to stir one another up to love and good works. Love being the root, good works being the fruit of the love. But then also this We are commanded not to neglect meeting together. Look at verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the third part of our sentence this morning. We are, it's a group project to hold fast to Christ and we must think about how to stir one another up and we must do this in unceasing, life-giving, mutual ministry. Unceasing, life-giving, mutual ministry. We are to stir one another up with the view in mind that we are gonna keep doing this until Jesus Christ comes back. And then when he comes back, then we experience true fellowship the way that it was really meant to be. What a day that will be. Notice what it says right here in this passage. I believe person that wrote this really was maybe a small group leader or got what it really meant to be in a small group. Um, and, and he writes, don't neglect, don't neglect meeting together. Okay, small group leaders in the room, put up your hands. Small group leaders, does this sound anything like your weekly email that you send out? Okay, maybe, maybe next time you go to send that email, maybe you could just type out Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Okay, guys, here's what we're going after. Right here, there it is, right? Send, done. Okay, there you go. You, that's free, all right? Um, But that's what we're going after. The person that God inspired to write this understood that the body of Christ is to come together. And if we don't come together, if we neglect that, that our faith will flounder and fail. And this goes for church meeting. This goes for small group. This goes for everything that we do in community together. Listen, think about it. 
Think about what it means to neglect something. I did a pretty amazing word study in the Greek this week, and guess what I found out about this word neglect? Guess what it means? Neglect. Yep, it's neglect. Just don't forsake it. Just don't forget about it. Just don't go over and do your own thing. But listen, it's so easy to neglect meeting together. Listen, we're blessed to have live stream happening right now during this service. Don't let that become a snare to you. Don't think that you can sit home on your couch and just live stream and it's, well, it's kind of like I'm really there. And it's not at all. That's not fellowship, okay? That's a blessing that God has given so that you can actually watch what's going on in your church when you can't be there. Notice, can't be there, okay? But that's not a substitute for true fellowship. Do not neglect meeting together. Help me with this, okay? If we neglect our children, we might lose them. If we neglect maintenance on our vehicle, it will die. If we neglect our job, we might what? Lose it, get fired. If we neglect meeting together, we might fall away. Our faith will just dwindle and become almost nothing. We will at least waver and not hold fast. This is how important fellowship is to the church. This is how important fellowship is to our lives. Can we all just admit this morning that God actually knows us better than we know ourselves? God knows exactly how much we need each other. He knows exactly that left to ourselves, we are not strong, but we are weak. Fellowship is life-giving mutual ministry. Fellowship is about encouraging one another and exhorting one another. This morning, I am exhorting you to live out these things. What is exhortation? What does it mean to exhort? Well, encouragement is kind of like the rub on the back of like, okay, keep going. You can do this. This is good. I'm encouraging you. Exhortation is like the rub on the back and then the strong push, okay? At the same time, rub, push. And if they don't move, rub, push, push, okay? Get going. Come on, let's go. Let's get after this. Time's wasting. Jesus is coming. Let's make a move. You can't do this in heaven, God's given you the opportunity to exhort one another, to stir one another up, to love him more here on this earth, right now in this church, in your small group, in your home, in your family. He's given nobody else that opportunity but you. Will you take it? Will you be faithful in it? Will you live for his glory in mutual ministry in this way? Listen, we are to exhort one another. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 through 14 tells us exactly how we're supposed to do this. It says this, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Listen, this morning, in this passage, we've seen five commands. Five commands, not from me. My commands, they don't matter. My kids don't even listen to them, okay? But we have heard five commands this morning from the Lord. That matters. That is significant. And the only question is not how we do it, but whether we do it, whether we are willing to live it out. And here they are. Notice each of these five commands, they're actually founded on the doctrine that comes before it. Since we are in Jesus Christ, redeemed by his blood, therefore let us, five things, hold fast to Christ in the context of community. Number two, think about how to stir each other up to love and good works. Number three, not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Encourage and exhort one another, helping each other move forward for the kingdom. And number five, we are to do all of these things with increasing consistency as we look and we behold that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Listen, as we look out on the world today, man, it's looking like Jesus could be coming at any time. The Bible says very clearly that in the last days that men will be lovers of themselves. Do we see that today? Oh yeah. Welcome Facebook. Welcome Instagram. Welcome Twitter. It's all about me. Think about how many selfies there even are on your phone. Okay? It's all about us, lovers of self. 
We, we hear in the word of God that in the last times that things will get harder and harder for believers. It will get harder for the church. The persecution will be intensified. Are we seeing that happen today? You bet. Okay, we're seeing the beginning signs of it little by little. But I can tell you that in the last days, this church right here, it's very, very likely that there will be less people here than what we see right now. As the persecution comes, there will be many, because we're told in the word of God, that will walk away and depart. And forget the coming together. Just, I I don't need it. I'm not gonna do it. It's too much. It's too scary. That will happen. But listen, I can also tell you this, that the people that still are here will be fired up about Jesus Christ. And you won't have to do a lot of exhorting. You'll come into this place, and then in that moment, there will be fellowship for sure. And so the question today is, where will you be when the persecution comes? Will you still be here? Or will you neglect the body of Christ? Will you turn away? And will you do your own thing? I want to encourage you today. I want to exhort you today. Don't neglect. Don't neglect what God has given you. This church family, your small group, your family is one of the greatest means of grace for your sanctification that God has given. Don't neglect it. Honor it, use it, and build one another up. Christ is coming. He may be coming again very, very soon. And we need to be ready. Let's be ready together as a church by living this out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word um, that is so clear, that is so clear on doctrine of how we come to know Jesus as our Savior and then how we live our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word that teaches us so clearly how to live in community with one another, how to engage in not phony fellowship, but real fellowship that stirs one another up to love and good works, that exhorts one another and builds up the body of Christ so that we all reach maturity. Lord, I pray over us right now. God, would you lead us? Would you lead us to be a church that doesn't just ascribe to these things, but really lives it out? Oh Lord, give us strength. We need it, Lord. Help us to minister to one another. Help us to love one another. Help us to care for one another, Lord. And help us, Lord, to bring you glory as we do it. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.